Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes in Fulfill Your Sci-Fi, Fantasy, and Geek Culture-Related Needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook and Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and as always, is my Rebel co-host, co-host, Rebel, Rebel, co-Rebel, Amanda. Co-Rebel. Co-Rebel. What's up, co-Rebel? <laughs> How's it going? We've done That's it. Good. Yay! Well, you know, there's always something, but man, this is, uh, I think this is better. We've, we're, we're stepping forward. Only took four or five years, right? For <laughs> I know, to finally have all the component pieces. I've always right. had a mic and camera, but recently I haven't had a computer that's capable of doing all the things at once. So now, finally... Everything works. We have all the pieces. That's it's right. Great. All the pieces. Fantastic. So, well, tell us about what's been going on. What have you been playing? Oh, I've been playing and I've nearly finished Nexomon Extinction. So, no idea what that is. It's great. It's, this is a game that you would love. First off, it's a Pokemon okay. ripoff, almost word for word. Okay. Yeah. I think I've heard of it. It's, okay. Um, but obviously, because Pokemon is locked to Nintendo, if you don't have a Nintendo device, you've never been able to play Pokemon except Pokemon Go, which, as I'm sure you know, I played a lot last year and I thought, oh, I want Pokemon and I want it on my actual PC, on my um console how do i make this happen and so i looked up different options nexamon extinction it's there it plays exactly like original pokemon on like the game boy and um oh man is it fun fun yeah (laughs) it's so effortless you know you get really good at the controls and you're just like boom 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 capturing killing whatever leveling your guys up putting the little things so they can share the xp and then you can kind of figure out who you want where i've got a completely ultra rare team now i just got the last ultra rare guy yesterday so the next step from that is legendary of course and i haven't been able to catch any legendaries yet because i think i'm still too low my highest guy is 47 and i think once you get because the max level on the standard game is 70 so i'm pretty close to max level it doesn't take that long i can do 10 levels in a i don't know two or three hour period if i grind and put my mind to it but you've got trainer battles you've got searching for pokemon in the wild there's a pretty decent story actually and this game is very self-aware and i think that's the part that i think you would really like is that while you're playing it, there are parts and they're just like, did the developers even try on this bit? Like 100% (laughs) fourth wall breaking, like all the tropes. And they were like, they're like, oh, I guess you can have this because we definitely didn't duplicate this NPC from earlier. You know, like all that sort of fourth wall breaking (laughs) stuff is in there and it's really fun. Um, I think it was like 16 bucks on Xbox. For the amount of fun I'm having, and uh, this is the first game I've actually paid and bought in a while, but I was like, I've never been able to play a Pokemon game ever. And I 
you know, I, why am I depriving myself of this? You know, I should be able to play Pokemon. So, um, next should. Extinction, so get a Nintendo. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> if it was 16 bucks, I would have gotten one, but they're still uh, about 160 quid over here. I didn't look at it. And I was like, been. are you joking to play one game? Are you insane? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Well, 16 bucks is in my price range because I mean, I did spend 80 bucks on Elden Ring. So, and I play, I bet you I'd play that more than I played Elden Ring. Oh, you would play the shit out of this game. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's easy. There's like the difficulty settings. If it gets too hard, you just grind a little bit more and not yeah. even like load. That I like. Yeah. See, that I can do. And that's, that is a, Maybe we'll talk about that in our in our theme, but or in our our topic for the today. But uh, I don't mind that, so yeah. that's okay. Especially if it's fun, uh, that's that's part of it. So, uh, speaking of Elden Ring, I have not been playing it, uh, but uh, I do want to get back into it. I've watched a lot of uh, videos on it, but what I have been playing, and I got back into it, and I had forgotten how good a game it is, is Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I haven't finished it yet. And so I was like, let me jump back into it. And I was so surprised at how fast I got, I remembered the controls. Uh, it's very intuitive. And so I jumped right back into it. I, I was pretty sure I was tracking the story. And so I jumped right back into the story as well. And it is a really good story. In fact, I'd say, and I know I said this or something to the effect the first time I talked about this game, it is on par with the movies. It may not be, it's definitely not better than the movies, but if you enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy, the movies, and you can get past the fact that none of the characters look exactly like they do or sound exactly like they do, <laughs> the, the essence is there. Like, who Peter Quill is, is in there. And it's like, and it's very funny. Uh, in fact, I like Gamora more in this than I did in, in uh, because she's, you know, I think she's probably uh, a little bit more realistic as to who she would be all things considered and her and her history right. in the movies but in the games she's much more uh i don't know she's just got it seems like she's a lot more earth influenced and so her the way she talks and things that she says are not as alien as they are sort of on on the movies but anyway it's a great game i i am thoroughly enjoying it now i'm about to the end i believe because uh, they've just revealed a few things and uh, i think i'm i'm right near the end but should finish that soon. Great game. I highly recommend it. It's I did buy it as well. Right. Because I was afraid I wouldn't finish it in time. On it, but it's on Game Pass now. So yeah, I did see it, it on Game Pass actually. I wanted to download it. So that's a great yeah. I'm gonna do that right now while I'm thinking about it. Isn't that amazing with your phone? Even? I know. It's it's, it's magical. Great. Everything's connected. Oh, and I have a computer that's powerful enough to actually take advantage of the Game Pass cloud on PC. What? What? <laughs> that's even better. This day just gets better. So, well, that's what I've been playing. That's what you've been playing. That brings us to the news. You have any news? I do have a couple things actually. So I do. I have two news, but you go first because now I'm downloading this game. So. Oh yeah, she's busy. So. First thing I wanted to that I, I saw, and I literally saw this as I was prepping my notes for this uh, this episode, is a company or a program called Quell Fitness Gaming, uh, Q U E L L. So, if you haven't seen this, we've talked a lot about uh, the overlap between reality and gaming, and how uh, AR uh, 
is is kind of the the near future, and that eventually we may have haptic suits and all of this other stuff. Well, Quell takes what the Connect did, and obviously this is a very niche area of gaming. Is is the Connect uh, style PlayStation Move Wii uh, style gaming, where you have your your hand controllers that are monitoring movement, but you also have a camera that's checking your movement as well. But what they've added is a belt that I think it tracks heart rate, uh, but also these elastic bands that attach to the grips. So when I go to, to reach, there's resistance against it. Uh, and there's a little bit of feedback. So it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not the same as if I were to reach and make contacts with something. Right. Um, but it does, it does add a little bit of resistance. So it's not like you're punching in space or it's just some group fitness class. You do have something that's giving you, that's kind of fighting against you. So you're not necessarily, uh, you know, just, just punching in the air. Uh, you can do everything sort of, it's a little bit like what you did. I believe it was maybe fable legends or whatever the fable game was that was strictly connect. I can't remember the name of that, that game where you could cast spells, you could do things, but it was all based on the connect, right? right. Your hand movement. Uh, it's a lot like that. So you can cast spells, you can punch, you can fight, you can bob and weave and things like that. It's meant for fitness. Um, but uh, I thought that they really, it seemed like they had honed that technology uh, considerably better than they had uh, in the, originally with the connect. I, I don't, I, and the reviews seem to be pretty positive. Um, but I thought that was neat. It was a good, uh, although it's niche, I thought it was a good use of that technology. Um, the other news that I have is uh, there is a social, a social network specifically for gamers that is being developed. And right now, IGN is, is a, I guess it's sponsored content that IGN was hosting. And so as I was scrolling through and just trying to pick up some news and see what's going on in the gaming landscape, I, I picked this up. And so it's called PVP. That's the name of the social network. I thought that's pretty, uh, at least it's on the nose, but I, I didn't think it was too much. It is created or founded by two guys, Phil Stover and Chris, uh, Chris Gray. Uh, Chris Gray, uh, I believe, was the CEO of Crave Games. Uh, and they have put, a, put out a lot of, I think, some mobile games, but um, so that could be a red flag. <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless... Decades of, of experience in this. I'm just interested to see the direction it goes, because if anybody's ever followed <laughs> the comment section of anything, uh, you know, any social network, there's going to be uh, vitriol and, and, and uh, you know, and, and just negativity. Uh, gamers have not been known to have the best behavior when it comes to stuff like this either. So I don't know. They just got a bad reputation, possibly. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. It's it's to have a, a social network specific to gamers about gamers mm. posting game content, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, as long as it's accessible and, and free, you know, for for individuals who, who want that sort of entertainment and that sort of social network. I think that's that's cool. Right now, they're still looking for investors. Uh, so for me, that I'm, I'm, <laughs> if I were on the Shark Tank, I would be out. Because I kind of, well, I don't have the capital to help. Uh, but besides that, that very important part, uh, you know, I just kind of want to wait and see. But PVP, social uh, network for gamers by gamers, actually, uh, you know, coming soon. It's still in beta. 
but uh, I think that they're really close to going public. Right. Okay. I mean, as a woman who's been in the gaming community a long time, I would say, generally speaking, there's a fair amount of netbreeds in that community. So am I super excited about a community for gamers? Maybe not, considering what Xbox Live and all the other multiplayer services always turn into. Um, But maybe this will be different. You know, I think... I think it's tough when it's a like a non-curated environment. So, you know, I feel like people are fairly competitive. If there's not competition, what will they be talking about? Ah, it, it remains to be seen. I'll wait and see what the adoption is like before I get excited about it. Um, right. Well, and, and think about it. Who's who are the investors and who who is the target audience? The majority of gamers, are they in our demographic or are they uh not are they individuals who have access to social media or is it are they looking for people like us who have the capital in our age group and but aren't necessarily the ones who are living and breathing and playing games six eight ten hours a day i don't know Uh, well i know that's not the case but anyway be interesting like you said remains to be seen um yeah uh well for things that people are definitely excited about, Elden Ring sold 12 million copies in its opening week. Um, and that's great. And, and people have a lot of great things to say about the game, and I'm excited for them. I think it's excellent. But I do have to say, um, their workers were definitely abusing the process, as I feel is what always happens with these game companies. You know, the workers are never not getting abused and so i think while the working conditions in general in the gaming industry continue to be quite poor it's really hard for me to get excited about the companies profiting on the backs of their workforce um so that i guess is sort of a tough pill to swallow i'm excited that a smaller studio is doing well I think we need more smaller studios. And I say that, so I mean, they're not an indie studio, but they are a smaller AAA publisher and they've done some good things in the past. But I think generally the industry needs to look at its working practices because it's a problem, um, full stop. Um, and it's funny that we say smaller studio. So the developer of Rhyme, Tequila Works, they just got bought out by the huge studio Tencent. So they now have a majority shareholding in that smaller studio. So I'm not sure what the answer is because huge companies have the same problems that small companies seem to have, you know, and darlings like CD Projekt Red and all sorts, they have just as bad practices as the huge Ubisofts and the Activision Blizzards and stuff. So I think maybe it's just endemic in the industry. Maybe it's something that needs a class action in order for the general publishing environment to change. But those are my two pieces of news. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think this is a topic to revisit. I, I think it's probably more complicated than we know. Um, and may go as deep as all <laughs> All businesses, especially any anything where productivity is is uh, cataloged and even sometimes uh, 
your productivity is is uh, will your your uh, compensation is based off your productivity, and so uh, which oftentimes is not the case in some of these gaming companies. You know, you may be very productive. Uh, you know, you may be a a large or huge contributor to the crunch timeline as a worker but not be compensated at the end when, you know, the game ends up being successful. You're not really tied to those profits. You know, a lot of times you just did the work and the, and the top, top end top brass end up being the ones that, that reap the benefits. So, but I do think that it's worth revisiting. Uh, that's unfortunate. I had not heard that, but I mean, it doesn't surprise me that that's the case with from software. Um, the narrative as of right now has been very focused on, um, the creator, the the world, the the positive nature of of uh, of again our topic today, and and uh, some of the some of the characteristics and mechanics of this particular game that were said to be non viable, uh, not profitable, uh, <laughs> and then you have one of the most profitable games uh, ever to be sold uh, within I think what two weeks. Yeah. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, that's unfortunate, but uh, Elden Ring is getting high praise. One of the most uh, highly uh, rated games of all time as well. So yeah. I think it's like 97 on Metacritic, which is just unheard of. <clears throat> so that brings us to our main topic for today, which, uh, Amanda, if you would just kind of explain what we're going to discuss today. So today we're going to be talking about what modern games like Elden Ring could learn from old games like the original Pokemon on Game Boy. So it's just an exploration true to the title of our podcast. Um, You know, retro games, they do have a very rich history and they've spawned things like Metroidvania and platformer and other terms that we use to describe games that come out nowadays and entire genres of games. Um, but the, the golden era of gaming, I would say was sort of the, the pre live service model. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, I think today, and, you know, obviously this suggestion came from my partner who said like, you know, like what are modern games doing that seems so wrong? Like why do most modern games tend to not get finished like you and I are both capable of finishing games why aren't we like I've right. almost finished this Pokemon game and it'll be the first game I've finished since Cyberpunk 2077 so what does that mean you know why yeah right. so I thought we'd explore what things that current gen games should learn from the past to keep gaming more fun and to keep the gaming public with large disposable incomes interested in their products Right. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that's I, I, when I was thinking about this topic and notes to put down for it, I thought, uh, what is it about the games? Like you asked, uh, you know, that what is it about current generation games that gets me to finish them like that keeps me hooked? Uh, and I kept coming back to certain games, really, uh, that I think they had there's enough in the Venn diagram, there's enough overlap between those games and the characteristics mechanics in those games and games of the past where they just basically took those elements and they've, they've fleshed them out and elaborated it and, and use, I think the technology um, 
in the best way possible to enhance the experience. And so I was going to list a few examples and then we uh, of just games, not necessarily like current gen games. And then we could talk about some of the, some of the things that we could bring back or maybe some of the things that these games are doing well that help explain why games like Anthem are just vapid <laughs> and you won't finish. I mean, vapid is the word, you know, and a lot of these games are empty. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're just worlds and, and they're just pretty with no substance. No, so, go ahead. Well, dive right in. Tell me what you're thinking. Witcher 3. Mm. Uh GTA 5, Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, Arkham City. Uh, these, are, these are giant AAA games that uh, outside of uh, Red Dead and GTA, although I put a lot of time in those games, I never finished, but probably would have. I got sidetracked. There was too much to do in those two games. But that didn't keep me from wanting to go back into the world. It was such an interesting place, and there was so much... There were details that were completely unnecessary. Unlike Ubisoft, who might have this really beautiful world with a lot to do, but who cares, right? Yeah. Uh, the Red Dead actually had a purpose behind everything. And there was there were layers to it. And ultimately, you would get to, you might, you might trace a, a trail of breadcrumbs uh, that has nothing to do with even the side mission that you were on. Mm. That will take you to some haunted house and a story that if you do the research, there's actually a background there. So uh, just such the depth uh, that some of these games have. I think it is just built on uh, stuff that, the, that retro games did really well, which the, the first one I was going to mention is just a narrative-driven focus. Mm. So a lot of games, it doesn't have to be a complicated story. It truly doesn't. And I think that Pokemon game that you're talking about uh, it probably is not all that complicated. <laughs> but you stick to the story there is a story uh and that is what drives the rest of the gameplay it's like you know it's it's a it's a fine line i'm sure of of adding the, the side quests and some depth and fleshing it out and not to to not detract from the actual narrative you know so that you don't you don't get lost in the weeds with so much to do that happens to me a lot with skyrim mm -hmm. or games like skyrim uh, I think that to a degree it sort of happened with uh, with uh, oh, Red Dead Redemption as well. You know, there was just too much to do on the side, but it was a fine line. And I think that Red Dead still did a really good job of it, uh, even if maybe they just did too good of a job. But I think a narrative driven focus is is uh, I think it's vital to almost every game. I think having a story in Street Fighter makes Street Fighter better. Uh, even if it's just a simple story, you know, you want to know, and, and then you fight with everybody and, and you get away from the stuff that really doesn't matter, uh, which is fleeting and is like a, like a skin that's nice. And it's great to collect, but what brings you back to the game? Why would I continue to play it? What is it about the game that makes it, um, that, that you, that would make you want to return to it? You know, and, <laughs> unless uh, and it's Ryu's game. new thick boy skin. And then we always want that. <laughs> There we go. Exactly. Did you see how wide they've made him? He's like, no, I he's like a brick down in a house. <laughs> like he's so thick. I put it up Fantastic. on Instagram because it's like it was in our story yesterday because it's absolutely fierce. <laughs> it how big he That's is fantastic. in Street Fighter Six just reminded me of that. But yeah, I think I think the story driven narrative is really important. In fact, before 
Cyberpunk 2077, which I think is very much that. Um, the last game that I think I finished was Outer Worlds. Once again, very much that. So right. I, I think I think that's a huge one. For me, I would say in that vein, what I'm enjoying so much about this game right now and what sort of triggered our thinking about this topic was that they make backtracking and going back to areas that you've been before exciting because at least in Nexamon Extinction, as you progress through the story, you get different powers granted to you by the children of this super huge, essentially, Pokemon. Yeah. And, you know, it's kids. They give you special powers to control air and fire and water. Yeah. So because you can start to control these elements, you can start to get to areas of the map that were blocked out before. And I think, I mean, I spent the longest time in the side quest trying to get up to this place and it was blocked by an ice thing. And I was like, why is this blocked by an ice thing? And then I earned the power of fire. And then I saw these hidden things on the map that I couldn't see before that are me being able to get to these special areas. Now that I have more powers, like if I just can't get to an area, then I'm assuming I haven't progressed the story like enough, but it is making it more exciting. And I'm sort of making mental notes of, oh, let me go back to this area and see what's going on here later on because I've come here very early and there are some bits I can't get to. So let me remember. Right. And I think old games like how this one is structured, it is based off original Pokemon and it is making backtracking exciting and using the environment to further the story. So, you know, now I can get to this area because I had powers that I didn't have before. And I think that is quite different from just getting a key that opens a door. While that is a thing, Right. It's not, it's not Evil, as involved. It's it's not as important, you know? And I think, um, you, I remember you talking about this. Maybe it was a sort of a story-driven text adventure, maybe, but there's something involved in a goat in the environment, and you had to use the goat to do something. Like, they don't do right. that in Broken Sword. Anymore. Right. And Broken Sword does something uh, that a number, and that point-and-click adventures were great at this, and this is one of the reasons why I loved them. Uh, and another reason why some people are infuriated with them is that uh, they don't hold your hand. So everything is built into the experience. And right from the beginning, the first few mechanics that you learn are the same mechanics you're going to have the entire game. It's like all I do from there is build on those mechanics. Right. And, and from that, and they don't hold your hand. It's like you just start and you kind of figure it out because none of us pulled out the booklet and read it to learn how to play the game. You just play. You would learn if I wanted to go back and read lore, sometimes it might be in that and I might do that. That might be the reason I'd open it, but I would never read it so that I could learn how to play. Nowadays, I'm having to go back and look at the <laughs> look at the the controller, the the breakdown of the controller and just and try to and how it's configured because I'll forget exactly what to push. And I start, you know, I start throwing shit I don't need to. You know, I'm accidentally throwing grenades or shooting a gun when I'm supposed to be quiet or all this stuff because they're so complicated, you know? Yeah. And again, I, granted, I know, you know, there'll be dead gaming comments or, or whatever because uh, <laughs> I've played games for a really long time. I'm just telling you it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. And simplified mechanics starting from the beginning and just, you know, just building off of that. Don't Don't get crazy with it. I think that allows, again, like I said, with Guardians of the Galaxy, I can just jump right back in and play. It's got a good story. It's got simple, relatively simple mechanics yeah. that, that are very intuitive. 
I can pick it up and play it, you know, after, after uh, being away for a while and it's great and it's easy to do. So. So I, I know what you're saying about simple mechanics, but I will say that yeah. one thing that I feel that older games did well, maybe not super old games, but like games right. from like the two thousands was they made collectibles worth having a look at later like right. they put some thought into them i think an example of a game that did this wrong that is seared into my memory is arkham asylum because you would just collect these senseless trophies absolutely all look the same it was dumb as heck and like i i just remember hating about it the riddler yeah and being mad about it and like it just annoyed me whereas um in this game and in many other games before, I think there was sometimes like story and quest item collectibles and things in Skyrim that were cool to look at, like actually to look at on the screen. Um, there are collectibles in Pokemon in, in this Nexamon Pokemon knockoff that are like amulets and things like that. And they do different stuff. So like it's worth looking to see what you've gotten and you can get like all little miniature figures of all the little Pokemons and they can follow you around in the game. So not only are there 300 Nexomons to collect, but there are also little miniatures that you can have to follow you around in the little environment. Yeah. But like that is a collection where having like uh, something that is just 50 of an identical thing who cares like right. that isn't actually interesting it's not amusing it's nothing that you would show anyone or take a screenshot of like who cares so i think right you know if new games are going to learn things from old games like make collectibles actually worth showing off because otherwise yeah. I'm, i don't want them uncharted does this well i think uncharted has unique collectibles so you don't necessarily use them they do add to the story because there's always some some uh story element tied to those collectibles i'm i'm it could be cortez or a number of other um adventurers over the course of history that have dropped things here and there and you're searching after this treasure and you'll end up finding these little collectibles that are related to that and i always thought that that was really cool even if i didn't really want to collect them all uh, it was it was something fun. I think that Gears of War did that relatively well because there wasn't a thousand of them. There was like sixteen or twenty uh, of the cog, yeah. you know. And so when I would go to look for their dog tags, you know, I I, I was looking for them all the time, and, and it made me want to go search the area because I knew I wasn't just trying to find five hundred of them or two hundred of them or even one hundred of them. It was fifteen or twenty of them. Uh, you know, they, they might be over there. And if I go look around that corner where nothing else is, you know, we've talked about that as a mechanic that, that we just do. And we're, we're, uh, conditioned. <laughs> we're like Pavlov's dogs. We are. So if there's a room over there and it's a dead end, I'm definitely going in there just yeah. to see what's in there. You know, even though I know for a fact, I can't get out and there's, uh, you know, it's not a part of the story. Um, I'm still going to search it, but yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's good. I think, I think a big one, and this is probably very nebulous and maybe obvious, uh, but ship a complete game. Like, <laughs> that's my that's my final thought. Yeah, send okay. us a whole game day one. Yeah, just send a complete game. So uh, you know, in the past when it wasn't even an option, and I was I was watching a video on on some of these game mechanics that that are gone that could be you know should return. 
they were, I was, I was looking at perfect dark, uh, golden eye, uh, just a number of games from the, you know, the 64 PS one PS two era. Yeah. And, and any of these games where the internet connection or connectivity wasn't an option, they're complete experiences. And so once I fire it up, I don't necessarily, I don't have to be tied to anything. Elden Ring is doing this in a way. And although I don't like the fact that it's always online for the most part, or at least the majority of times I've played it is, yeah. it is a complete experience. Uh, when I, when I boot it up and I start to play, I don't have to have anybody's help. I don't have to, you know, it's, it's a complete, it's just a complete experience. Uh, there wasn't necessarily a patch nest, you know, needed. Um, there are no microtransactions. There are, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a game I purchased and I can play it and I don't have to have anything else added to it. It, it was, it was completely formed. Uh, when we received it, I know that's an issue for some of these larger games to get out. Uh, but as we've said on this show a number of times, it's just better to wait to ship it until it's done. But that's that was that's my uh, that's probably my biggest one. It's just ship a complete game. I I think like yeah, ship a complete game. Maybe don't have the huge like day one patches because like people are excited about playing the game and they get right. less excited when the very limited time they have is spent downloading a patch on the very first day. Like even if the disc was complete, like why was it so broken you needed a patch right away? Like that's a concern. But I think even right. more so like all these extra add-ons and currencies and season passes and whatever it's start of it's like getting out of hand i think and Absolutely. the games that i enjoy now are complete experiences and they don't have any of that stuff in fact if i just think back to all the games i've played recently aside from that one time i downloaded a mobile game this year but we shall not speak of it again um <laughs> you know they're all complete experiences you know next one extinction when you download it you get everything um cyberpunk 2077 i mean yeah you could buy extra stuff but like it was still complete anyway as far as i'm concerned right. You know, Outer Worlds, it's complete. You know, The Last Stop, it's complete. They're all complete experiences. I don't want to pay you money just to pay you endless money. It's really annoying. Right. Um, right. And, and I just feel like it's quite disingenuous because you never really know when the fun starts, if it's an <laughs> endless payment train. So Right. And, and I've had people ask this about Warcraft because that is a, it's always a knock on MMOs is the, uh, the, you know, as long as there's no pay-to-win mechanic that uh, you usually can get away with that stuff. And I've always been in support of a good massive multiplayer online game because of that live service. But those are really the only games I've seen that have that model where it seems to have any merit uh, because the, the connectivity in the worlds have to be held on a server. You've got all of these other player characters on mm -hmm. the on the screen many times at the same time. And so there yeah. has to be a way to, to, to maintain that. And, and uh, those are living, breathing worlds that have been around for now more than a decade, you know, almost yeah. two decades. I uh, think with MMOs, you know what you're getting into. I think my criticism is like right. you download a free to play game, like call of duty Warzone. 
you think right. you're going to have a great time. You can only access like five different character models when you start. In order to get right. other character models, the grind is endless. If you want to be a woman, there are almost no options unless you buy something. Do you know, like it's kind of, it's kind of dumb. Like it's not fun actually. So well, I, if any, if anyone critically thought about it, I think that they would, they would say not only is that dumb, but probably should be, you definitely shouldn't support it with your money uh, or your time. You shouldn't download it. It's not only not a complete game, it's a racket. It's, yeah. it's borderline illegal. You know, it's <laughs> like, um, it's definitely, if not illegal, very unethical. It's very unethical, you know. Tell them. It's, it, yeah, Tell I'm just them. saying, it, you know. Uh, and, and the proof is in the pudding. Like, if you just look at some of these games, uh, and, and I, I will use Elden Ring again for as an example, they don't hold your hand. It, there is an actually very deep story in that, but I couldn't tell you what it is. It's just for people who really want to dive into it. They, they, you know, you just kind of are thrown into this world and, um, you know, and, and enough people have found that to be not only engaging, uh, they want to return to it. I mean, 12 million copies for a game just doesn't happen. You know, yeah. that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, but it's, I don't think it's because it can't, I think it's because these developers, they forget what really is most important and what, what gamers really want because the people driving innovation in games are worried about the dollars and not about the gamers or not about the product that they're sending out. Yeah. Um, and so somewhere in there, they're losing sight of what's important. It's funny that you mentioned like just jumping into it and there's probably a story, but you don't know what it is. I think that's my final thing that games could learn from older games is that there was a time when you were kind of incentivized to learn the lore, like right. where knowing the lore and stuff made things easier or gave you some sort of advantage or in the case of Skyrim, just occasionally when you open books, you get free things like that. Right. You, know, you yeah. got ability points and stuff. I think <laughs> I always feel bad when I aggressively tab through the dialogue. And I do um, with the exception of perhaps RPGs where I have an option to express my opinions, like mass effect and things like that. In fact, Mass Effect and very similar games like Dragon Age are probably the only games I don't tap through the dialogue on. Yeah. I, I just, I, I want to care, but I also have limited time and there's never anything important or critical in there. You know, the reason why I didn't do it in Mass Effect because oftentimes you would miss the whole context and then you'd be forced to make a decision based on right. who knows what. But I think- I'd be like the same way. Yeah. yeah, games usually don't do that. And once you learn that there's no consequence for just tabbing ahead. Although Nexonomicon Extinction did get me the other day because they were talking about like blueprints for something. And they were like, oh, if you got the blueprints, like what would you do? And I was just tabbing like blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, destroy them. They're like, that's boring. And I was like, but I wouldn't destroy them. I was just tabbing through. <laughs> right. And, and I think that uh, you know, there's something to be said for those games in the past. And, and, and those, there was a clear set of rules that you learned throughout the plays, throughout gameplay. So, you know, I would say the Final Fantasies. I cannot tell you the story for any of the Final Fantasies. Absolutely not for Kingdom Hearts. None of those. I can't tell you. 
I can tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Final Fantasy 1, 4, 6, uh, 9, 8, 7. I can tell you I enjoyed all of those Final Fantasies, and I do not know the story. I know story beats. The point of that, though, is, is through over the course of gameplay, I learned that there are a clear set of rules as to how these games work. I understood the emotion was more in the action and the interaction between so much was said with eight and 16 bit pixels without a lot of dialogue. Sometimes, yeah. you know, they just did a really good job of conveying even emotion when, when it's very difficult to even see their eyes and their mouth, but they did it, you know? And so uh, like, for instance, you know, you just knew that if you were fighting something that was undead and if there was anything about it, that was undead to use a Phoenix down would kill it automatically. Cause that would, that brought life. And so if you use life, on uh, an undead enemy it killed it automatically if it's a water-based enemy you use fire i mean just basic yeah. elemental stuff that you learned over the course of playing and held true in all of those games you know and so you kind of knew already they built that uh, it was kind of built into the education in the game and now you know you kind of have to and i and that, that may be a, a just a, a part of games evolving but i thought that that was also something that was really nice um about old games that probably could be used nowadays as well. Yeah. Well, any anything else? Any final thoughts on on games and and uh, the some of the the mechanics and and game tactics that retro gaming could teach current gen? I mean, I guess my last final thought is like I think people love Elden Ring and games like that for the character customization as well and i feel like we've gotten less of that recently it's almost like as graphics have gotten better the ability to render custom models has gotten worse or not kept up with it and right like i really value that in a game i love when i can make my character look like how i want it to look like because then right. it makes the story more personalized to me and i don't think that it's that hard to adapt a story for whatever like why does what i look like matter so much to the story like i think right. things like horizon forbidden west and all sorts would get i don't know would be more popular in general if people could look like whatever they wanted to look like i don't think the fact that she's sort of a tomboyish girl is that inherent to the story but if if it's my character and my character looks like that then it's Re relevant to my story and so right. i think more character customization is important not less that i i would say that's my sort of final piece of advice although we've given many ideas <laughs> i do and i agree i think that uh there's that's a lot of good advice i don't miss i don't disagree with you i think it can be uh a draw it can be definitely one of those things that makes a game more enjoyable uh, for me to kind of get in the shoes of the character if I can make them look like me. I also definitely see the merit in I've got a character and I got to play this character because that's the character that the, that the developer wanted me to play. And I, I see that as well. But again, I'm also, I've also been able to play as male characters pretty much my entire life whenever I wanted to. And so yeah. I've never really thought of it any other way. And so every now and then when, <laughs> when you've got to play as a, uh, you know, a girl in Life is Strange or Forbidden West or something else, it, it never bothered me because, uh, because it never bothered me. But also it probably plays a factor that I've always been able to play as a man if I wanted to in most games. So 
It's a, it's an interesting take and, and one nice. I don't know that I thought of. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, great. Well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templateek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templateek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to wherever you download your podcast and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released and rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.